Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. It is always a pleasure and joy to be here. I think this is Barb's favorite church. Pastor Legault called her uh, lovely, and Pastor Kenny called her wonderful, or vice versa, one of the two, but uh, she ate it up anyway. <laughs> we are always glad to be here. We, we do have a great relationship with this church. Well, the news is not very encouraging. Um, this looks like it's going to be the messiest presidential election in our history. We've had some pretty bad ones, if you read, Steve, read history, but we've never seen anything quite like this. A judge last week fined former President Donald Trump $350 million for a law that's never been enforced in the state of New York. Uh, what do you say about that? Uh, they're trying to, as of just a couple of weeks ago, President Trump had already spent $53 million on legal defense. There's something wrong with our system of justice if it costs that much money to defend yourself against charges that really are absurd, and they are absurd. The case in Georgia is falling apart. There are two other cases, and their idea apparently is to tie him up in court. Uh, it's going to be messy. On the other hand, we have a president that uh, has trouble remembering names and places, and I feel for him every time I see him speak. My heart really kind of goes out to him. My wife gets quite upset with Jill Biden, thinking, why would you let your husband go through that? Um, I expect that we probably see in August, when the Democrats meet for their national convention, that they'll substitute someone else in. Um, Governor Newsom from California would like to be president. He'd like to do for the United States what he did for California. And uh, God help us. China is uh, seems to be importing people to the United States. It's said to be over 30,000 now. 800 came in the other day. Uh, they're well-dressed, military age, young men and women. Uh, one of the Fox News recorded a place where they were uh, practicing shooting. And so that's a dangerous thing. We don't know how many people are coming across the border that are related to Hamas or one of the other terrorist groups. We know how many have been apprehended. And that number comes up to close to 1,000 now in the last year. Uh, this is a scary, scary world. Uh, it just is bad. Uh, the constitutional convention or constitutional amendment that I mentioned, uh, that is the law right now in New York State. But it looks like, you know, it's probably an amendment's going to pass. It's going to take an act of God to change it. If it ever happens, the legislature would never be able to pass a law banning or limiting in any way abortion. Um, this is an evil time. We live in the midst of a corrupt nation. Uh, things are getting a little bit scary. So instead of dwelling on that today, as I prayed about what to share with you, I thought what I need to do is give you a message of encouragement. So both this morning and tonight, we're going to be focusing on uh, two chapters in the book of Philippians. Now, hopefully, Pastor Legault or Pastor Kitty has not been preaching through Philippians for a while. But even if they have, what I'm going to say is going to be different than what they've been saying. And you, we, uh, When I was in uh, college, we had different first year. I was in the first student body of Maranatha Baptist Bible College. And they wanted to get a lot of support from churches, so they invited pastors to come and speak in chapel. So we had a different pastor every, every day. And one week, I remember very clearly, on Monday morning, the pastor said, turn in your Bibles to Luke 19. That's the story of Zacchaeus. 
The next day, the next pastor came in and said, turn your Bibles to Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus. The third day, the guy came in and said, turn your Bibles to Luke 19. We all cracked up. He had no idea what was going on or why, but uh, it happened five days in a row. And Dr. Cederholm, the president, got up and says, well, uh, students, I, I, apparently God knew we needed that message. <laughs> so, uh, you know. The Apostle Paul was under house arrest. On his third missionary journey, he had made a decision to return to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. On the way, he was warned several times not to go, but he was determined to go, and he went. And when he went, he, he decided to go to the temple, and there was a riot. They thought he had brought a Gentile in. He was arrested by the Roman authorities, and he appealed to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. The Apostle Paul used the courts, he used his, his rights as a Roman citizen to travel. That enabled him to go all over the known world. He used his, when he was in the Philippian jail, if you remember, he used his right as a Roman soldier to, or citizen to have a trial, and they had beaten him without a trial. So he was in a position where uh, he could appeal to Caesar and it didn't go quite as he planned. He ends up basically under house arrest after getting there and taking some time to get there. There's a shipwreck and on the way. And, you know, if I was Paul, I think sometimes I'd say, Lord, I, I'm going from point A to point B. Why would you allow the ship to go down? And yet God did. So he ends up in Rome and instead of hear, giving the hearing in front of Caesar, He's just put on the backlog. He's just put on, and he's under house arrest. For Paul, that must have been very difficult. He was used to being on the go. He was used to traveling, and suddenly he's stuck in a house, and he's pretty discouraged. He'd have to be. And then a gift comes from the church at Philippi, and it just encourages him. He just is lifted up, and he writes this book, this epistle, four chapters in length, to just encourage the Philippians. This is unique in the epistles. There's no doctrinal issue to correct. Uh, there's doctrine taught, but there's no correction. He's not like the Galatians having to rebuke them for something they're doing. It's, it's basically a message of encouragement. Now, you can identify, you can divide it in a number of different ways. You can take the theme, for instance, of joy. And every chapter says something about joy and rejoicing. You can take the theme of unity, because that goes throughout the book as well. But I'm going to think about the Christian life. First of all, I'm going to think about the promise, or the, uh, excuse me, the partnership of the Christian life. Paul is thankful for this church at Philippi. Now, when I think of this church, I, I think along these same lines. So here's how it begins. Paul and Timotheus, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints of Christ Jesus that are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Now, this is a church that was established in Paul's secondary, second missionary journey. It is, he had seen the vision, remember, in Macedonia, come over and help us. The first place he landed in Europe was Philippi. There are, there are no um, 
synagogues. There are not that many Jews there, so Paul couldn't go as was his custom to the synagogue. Instead, he, he goes to a, a, a lake or where women were gathering. Lydia, the city uh, seller of purple, is there, and she's his first convert. And then there's a demon girl that starts following him around, saying these men are servants of the Most High. Paul did not want the endorsement of the devil, and so he rebukes her, casts out the demon. The people who own her or control her or making money off her are upset. He's thrown in jail. In jail at midnight, he and Silas, remember, are singing. Now, if you're ever in jail, I recommend not singing at midnight. <laughs> I mean, you, not unless the Lord leads you that way. And the Lord lay there. So they're singing at midnight and there's an earthquake. You remember the story, don't you? My father-in-law told that story. And every time he told it, he talked about the rough and tough and hard to bluff Philippian jailer. So I always think of that when I hear that story. But the Philippian jailer thinks they escaped. He comes in, sirs, what must I do to be saved? How did he know that was the question to ask? He had been listening to the songs. Your singing can sometimes be a testimony to others. So that's the core. That's the beginning of this church at Philippi. It's now 10 years later. The church is thriving. They're doing very well. Things are going just great. And they send a gift to Paul through their Epaphroditus. And Paul writing back to them. Now, apparently Epaphroditus got sick while he, after he delivered the gift. And his delay, he's delayed in returning to Philippi. And they're concerned about him, and so he writes a letter and he sends it. Remember, there's no email, no even U.S. post office. You have to have somebody personally carry the letter. So Epaphroditus carries this short letter back to the church. There are three things in chapter 1 that I want you to know that has to do with the partnership in the Christian life. Number one, I want you to understand the whole chapter says, you're not in this alone. You're not in this Christian life alone. The Christian life has to be lived with others. We need each other. We're, we're, not, we're not the Lone Ranger. Even the Lone Ranger had Tano. You know? We're not in this by ourselves. So the first thing I want you to note is the fellowship of the gospel. I love that song, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Now that's talking primarily about fellowship with God, and that's wonderful. But there's something wonderful about having fellowship with one another. Now fellowship is not having coffee and donuts after church. We sometimes think that way, but there's something about eating with other believers that does produce fellowship as we talk together and share with one another what God is doing. It's a great encouragement to each other. Fellowship is defined by someone as two fellows in the same ship. When you were saved, you were adopted into God's family. When I was a teenager, we used to sing the song, Things Are Different Now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. Things are different now. I was changed, it must be, when I gave my heart to Him. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. Now, I remember a convert once that said, I accepted Christ as my Savior and I lost all my friends. And that happens because 
things are different now. Things you loved before, well, you don't love them as much or maybe even turn away from them. Some of those buddies that you hung around with, you know, they don't want to hang around with you anymore. But listen, it's not our loss, it's our gain. We gain a family, the family of God. What a fellowship that's found in, in verse 5. Notice, I'll read on. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, verse 2, and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel on the first day until now. That fellowship in the gospel. There are three components of that. Fellowship in the gospel involves partakers. In the last verse, all are partakers of my grace. We all receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Now, if you're here today and you have not done that, you need to do that. But when you were saved, it was like a light came on inside your head. You suddenly understood that before a holy God, you had sinned and that you were guilty of condemnation. And someone explained the gospel to you. They used the word of God and you saw for yourself that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again. And you chose to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We've all experienced that same grace. It took as much grace to save me as it did to save you. We're partakers of the same grace. That's a wonderful truth. Secondly, it involves a partnership. We're in this thing together. Paul was on the front lines. They were able to send a gift to help him on his way. This church has always been a church that has been one I could count on to help me on my way. And then there's a prayer. Now, if you wonder what your pastors want for your life, it's right here in, first, in Philippians 1, beginning of verse 8. Here's how Paul prayed. He said, I'm praying for you that your love may abound more and more. We need more love. The world's got a lot of hate. And the world may hate us, so we need to love each other even more. Then he says, more in knowledge. They want you to learn the word of God. Then it says, in all judgment, that you may approve things which are excellent. That's discernment. Your pastors want you to know right from wrong. They want you to be able to see right from wrong. So they teach doctrine, for instance. Doctrine enables you to see what's wrong when you hear this teacher on the radio that tells you something that you know not to be true. You can spot the wrong. And then it goes on to say that you may be sincere. That is, genuine believers. Not fake. Not frauds. Without offense. They want, don't want to see you stumble. They want to keep you from stumbling. Being filled with the fruits, without offense into the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which Jesus Christ brought unto the glory and praise of God. So, in these first verses, Paul talks about the fellowship of the gospel. That we're in it together. We, we have a partnership with one another. We are to pray for one another. We are partakers of the same grace. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of the fellowship. Then he changes subjects a little bit. He talks about the furtherance of the gospel. That's in verse 12. But I would 
that you should understand the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather for the furtherance of the gospel. It's kind of amazing that Paul, who was used to traveling and had a lot of plans, he, he wanted to go to Spain, he, want, he wanted, there are other unreached fields he wanted to go, and he's stuck in Rome. Stuck for a while with King Agrippa, and so delay after delay after delay, and he says, hey, listen, I want you to understand the things that happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, I think Paul was wrong in going to Jerusalem. Good men do make mistakes. Do good men sometimes disagree? Paul and Barnabas didn't agree with each other. They had to split up. But Paul says, you know, God uses the things in our life for our good. I've told you about my friend John Pustai. John Pustai was Hungarian background, Hungarian reform. Very, I witnessed to him for a couple of years before he finally accepted Christ as his Savior. He wanted to be baptized. I said, talk to your doctor. The doctor said, absolutely not. You'll die. He said, I want to be baptized anyway. What better way to meet the Lord than obeying him? So we had a nurse. We did it. He lived through it. But John, before his death, was burdened for others. And he said, uh, you know, I'm stuck at home here. I can't go anywhere. I can't travel. Uh, how do I witness to people? So I said, well, John, let's pray that God will bring people into your home. Whether God will use you in other ways. John was in and out of the hospital a number of times. Every time he went in the hospital, he led somebody to Christ. I mean, he'd be next to them. He was pretty sick, and yet he'd witness and share Christ. The things that happen to you, sometimes bad things, God can use to further the gospel. It's a great truth. Even when we stumble and make a mistake, you know, our testimony is, well, if there were no tests, there'd be no testimony. We have to stumble once in a while, and, you know, we're human, we know that, and, you know, it's, it's not that we glory in the fall or mistake we made, but the promise is God will, will use us to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a great truth that is. Then in verse 19, he talks about his deliverance. He's going to talk about the faith of the gospel. So we have the fellowship of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel, and the faith of the gospel. That phrase is found in verse 27. He says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to the earnest expectation, my hope, and in nothing I shall be ashamed. With all boldness, as always, and now also in Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. You know, the, the gospel is a wonderful truth. You and I can have confidence no matter what happens. Paul's in a situation where if he goes before Caesar, Caesar could order his death. That did happen several years later. Caesar ordered his death. But here he talks about life or, or death. Now, either way, God's going to be glorified. Now, he says, I, I'd like to stay, the work I'd like to do, but, you know, to tell you the truth, to die and be gain, you know, it'd be better to be with the Lord. Somebody said something, I, I said hi, and they said, well, it's, uh, the, being seen is good to be seen rather than buried. No, not really. <laughs> it'd be better to be with the Lord, wouldn't it? No more sorrow, 
No more suffering, no more struggle, no more sin. <sighs> Heaven's a wonderful place. Filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I'm going there someday. So I can have confidence. David had confidence. He said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. That's a long time. I told my wife the other day, I love you forever and a day. <laughs> well, there's no day after forever. You know, she pointed it out to me. Anyway, verse 28, he says, nothing terrified by your adversary. Now, I ought to read probably verse 27. He reminds them, only let your conversation becometh the gospel of Christ, whether I come and see you or be else be absent. I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Your behavior reflects on the gospel. Your attitudes reflect on the gospel. If you're negative and sour, no one's going to be drawn to Christ through your testimony. But we can, we can have confidence. He says, nothing terrified by your adversaries. Now, Paul is waiting to stand before Caesar, the most powerful person in the world at the time. And he says, you know, he writes Timothy, he says, in my first defense, when he actually got there, no man stood with me. Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. And if you have the Lord, you have all you need. You have all you need. The faith of the gospel. What a wonderful truth it is to know that your home is in heaven. You know, we, we never know when our time is up. I mentioned this morning I'm 76 years old. Still shocks me. Uh, and I know I'm on borrowed time. I know at any time God could call me home. Could be a heart attack. Could be a stroke. Could be a car accident. We drive a lot of miles on the New York highways. And let me tell you, there's a lot of idiots out there. But, uh, you know, by life or by death. We're going to serve the Lord by life or by death. Think about that. Having confidence. Now, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, how do you face that truth? That today could be your last day. You don't know how much time you have left. I remember the first time I read in the obituary of somebody my age. Now I read the obituary column. Almost everybody's younger than me. Yeah, Barb's mom lived with us for a number of years. She had some dementia, and she would go to the calendar once in a while, and she'd be looking at saying, Mom, what are you looking for? And she said, well, I'm looking to see when I'm going to die. Well, Mom, nobody knows that. It's not on the calendar. Well, I'd like to know. I wouldn't like to know. I'd just assume that information be kept to the Lord himself. But, you know, if you're going to die at such a, such a place, I wouldn't go to that place. You know, I'm hoping my dad used to say he was looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. He was a believer. I'm, lis I'm listening for the Trump. But listen, if you're here today and you do not know Christ as Savior, today could be your day. You could settle this question for all eternity. 
When you die, you're either going to go to heaven or hell. You've received Jesus Christ, your Savior, you're going to heaven. If you die without Christ, you're going to hell. That's all there is to it. There's no middle ground. It's not your good works, not your church membership, not your giving, not how, being a nice person. All of those things are nothing. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ we can be saved. My favorite verse in the Bible is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, I love that verse because God so loved the world. Not just a special group of elect people, but he loved the world. Whosoever means whosoever. Anybody can come to Christ. The gospel's for all. In fact, in chapter 1, I don't have time to do it now, but circle all the times Paul says all, all, all. It's a wonderful world, word. But then everlasting life. What do you have to do? You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you have to do. You have to believe that he came into the world, that he died on a cross, that he rose again the third day. He died for your sins and mine, that we might have everlasting life. He died for you, my friend, as much as he died for me. And if you'll ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, he said, He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. So we have the fellowship of the gospel. Fellowship. The furtherance of the gospel should be our goal and purpose in life. But all based on the faith of the gospel. What we believe from God's holy word. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the partnership we have. We're not in this thing alone. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also have fellow believers, people that can pray with us, people that can partner with us, people that are fellow partakers of the grace of God. Lord God, I pray for that person that's here today. They've never received Christ as their Savior. I pray that today would be their day of decision, that day when they would say yes to you and your offer of salvation. I pray for Christians to be encouraged. Father, we are not in this alone. And we know ultimately we're going to win. No matter how bad it may seem in this world, Christ is still on the throne and he'll bring it all to an expected end. Thank you for this great church. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. And it's an honor to have Brother Tom and his wife with us because they've been partners with us for a long time. And we like that partnership. And he goes around and not only does he help us understand some things happening in this world, and in our state, but he also encourages us to remember the spiritual partnership and the right side of the things that he deals with and the people that he encounters and the churches. He's in and out of many churches. He's helped a lot of churches. And one of the things that scares me about churches is when they start turning inward instead of outward. The gospel doesn't start to go out. The preaching isn't going out. They're not fellowshipping together. They're not staying together in partnership. Instead, they're, they're so isolated that the gospel doesn't move forward. And it's a privilege to know that the furtherance of the gospel is still going on because of the faith in the gospel. I hope, I hope our church never gets to the spot where we turn internal 
and stop reaching with the gospel to a world who desperately needs it. And I'm just glad for the encouragement this morning. Let's go ahead and stand. We had folks join the church last week, people baptized. It was a wonderful, it was a long day, it was a wonderful day. And it was encouraging. Maybe you're in here this morning, Brother Tom has made the gospel extremely clear. That Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and arose again the third day according to the scriptures. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you're not part of the fellowship. <laughs> you're not in. But you can be. That's the free gift of a holy God who can save to the uttermost if you'd call upon him. If you've never done that, we're going to sing an invitation to him here in just a moment. And maybe you need to come and just let me know. Get my attention. We'll have someone take a Bible and answer all of your questions. Go ahead and talk with you and show you from the Bible how you can know your sins are forgiven forever and eternity is settled for you. And if you're saved in here, maybe you haven't been fellowshipping. You haven't been part of it. You haven't partnered in. You haven't started to incorporate into the things that make up the church and what we do and how we can glorify God and serve Him together. Maybe you need to come and say, Lord, how do I do that? How do I get in? Uh, Lord, I, I'm not giving out the gospel the way I'm supposed to. Well, you can... You can pray and ask the Lord to give you opportunities. Many times, people, we've heard different people. I've talked with people. Well, I don't go out much, and I don't, I don't get to talk to a lot of people, and I'm kind of by myself a lot, and, you know, how can I be a witness? Well, the times you do go out, ask the Lord. Give you something. Give you someone. And be willing to witness and be willing to talk. It's up to you. It's up to you. Take the opportunities he gives you. They may be few, but take them and be part of that fellowship and in that faith to further the gospel. Lord, we love you and we do pray you would bless the invitation even now. Lord, you'd help us, Father, work together to see Jesus Christ honored and glorified. I pray you'd help us to stand faithful till you come and we hear a trumpet sound and you call us home. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And Brother Andrew.